Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for choosing to spend your afternoon here with Anthony and myself. For those who don't know, I'm Patricia Ogan-Faber, and I do a podcast show to help people maximise property values. It's called Maximising Property Values. Shockingly, it's been going for two years. And I just, I think last week, recorded the first episode for the third year. So, yeah, amazing. Just, I'm, I'm, I'm staggered, really, that I've been able to maintain it for so long. <laughs> anyway, it's on all your popular platforms. It's on Apple, Spotify, on Google, on Audible. Go If you go on to any of them, just search for Maximising Property Values and you will be able to find the show. That, however, usually is a monologue. So that is just me talking about my experiences and, you know, telling people what I've discovered or what's happening with me. But since November, I've added a guest series to the sh- a podcast show. And today my guest is Anthony Davies. So let's get to know Anthony a little bit more today. Who is Anthony? He's a qualified accountant, so he's a fellow, that means like one of the top levels within industry and large multinational IT companies. He's uh, He followed that by being an international IT sales manager. And for the past 20 years, he's been a multidisciplined property investor, ranging from simple buy to lets, to developments, to private property lending and borrowing, where he helps property developers and investors make their projects happen and profitably. So, Anthony, welcome to Maximising Property Values. But before we go into your main property activities, let's get to know you better. So, first, you are an accountant you've been in sales. For the last 20 years, you've been in property. Which was the best, ignoring your transferable skills and why? On on doing podcasts for two years and having the tenacity to constantly do them and get out of your comfort zone because uh, and go through that learning experience. It's something I I haven't done and I do admire people who, who do them. Um, answering your question, the quick answer would be property all day long. Um, but that said, I'm really pleased I've done all three routes. I think in today's society, everyone wants to get to the end straight away and think it's it's all easy what you do. Uh, but you've got to go on you know that that journey as people talk about. So accountancy was, was good for me. I decided I want to be an accountant probably about the age of six or seven which i know sounds a bit weird but i was brought up in family business um so i knew our family accountant etc and I, wrongly i thought accountants had a lot of money i didn't realize at the time that they were dealing with other people's money um but anyway i decided to become an accountant um it's a great great skill to have uh if you're going down the business route whatever that is i think i remember a statistic which is of all managing directors, CEOs are ex-accountants. Reason being is they tend to understand the business. They may have been the FD in the company, MD leaves and they need something to to jump in. And it is the the FD who really gets the grasps of it. Plus some businesses are run on the numbers, which I'm not saying is right or wrong. So it's been really good for me to uh, get a a grip of that. Accountancy is not my my strength, or as you quite rightly said, I, I went through and got my fellowship. I was the FD of one of my own startups, um, which I floated onto the AIM stock market. As part of that process, I I applied for my fellowship and and got that. Sales, um, I must admit, I do love sales. Um, I I just love the buzz. So I used to do, back in the late 90s and early 2000s, what I would call complex IT sales. I worked for uh, who then ICL, the largest uh, British uh, IT company. They were taken over by Fujitsu. I was fortunate enough as part of that process to end up at uh, Fujitsu's head office in Tokyo for two years. Uh, I then came back, did some international sales, and then I moved into Oracle, which was a different animal, um, much more uh, high-pressured selling, uh, some big-ticket sales, million-pound-plus sales, uh, so not uh, pushing out PCs or anything like that, uh, dealing with a lot of dot-coms at the time. 
back in 2000. So again, I learned a lot from that whole process of the sales funnel, sales pipelines, uh, networking, etc. cetera. Uh, but I always wanted to have my own business, uh, never really knew what it was going to be. And one way or another, I ended up in property. Uh, and the reason I love it, I guess, and, and we'll come on to my lending as well, is it, it ticks a number of buttons for me. It, it still hits the accountancy side, numbers are important. It still hits the sales side at the end of the day. I'm you know, looking for tenants, uh, commercial, residential, do negotiations with regard to land and joint ventures. Uh, but I love uh, property because it is one of the few assets, if not the only asset, where you can truly leverage. And when you're sleeping, it is earning money for you. Uh, so uh, that would be the one for me. Plus, generally speaking, uh, you know, I was at a networking event last Friday and Saturday uh, or an educational stroke networking event. It is full of lovely people. And through doing that, I've managed to meet lots of people throughout the UK, particularly over the last few years, bizarrely enough, with COVID. I think COVID has been great because of Zoom and lots more now of networking events and things like Clubhouse. Um, you know, these people are from all over the UK, all over the world. So generally speaking, uh, you can get to know people throughout the country. And I try where I can, if I'm in that area, to try and physically catch up with people face to face and make the effort. So, yeah, definitely property. Ooh. And thank you very much for your kind words earlier. And when you said property any day, I had such a big smile on my face. <laughs> OK, now, um, so you told us your best and why. Which was the worst and why? Ooh, um, accountancy, I would say. Um, I am not, the problem with accountancy, and I also was initially a junior accountant, so to speak. I worked in a, a sales environment. I was very lucky. ICL were a superb employer. And uh, every six months as a finance graduate, we were on a graduate scheme. There were 110 graduates in my year, of which only 10 of, of us were accountants. Uh, we did our exams every six months. There was quite a bit of pressure on that. Um, so not only working, but you know, I spent many weekends on residential courses uh, cramming for my exams. Uh, what I don't like about uh, particularly low-level accounts, okay, when you get to an FD level, um, is the monthly routine. I'm not really a routine person. So that would be the bit I don't like about that. Sales, uh, again, when you're working for a large corporation, you really are hammered on targets. And it is it's probably the greatest thing ever is when you, you get a deal over the line, you can celebrate that, um, A, earn you know, significant bonuses as well. Uh, but of course, the other side to that is if it isn't going well and you get, say, halfway through the year, and you've got an annual target or we used to have annual targets broken down and you just know you're not going to get to your number. Uh, and then you've all, you have all you end up switching off and you see a lot of sales guys and you're already starting to plan for the following year. So you've written off six, 12, six months of your business life and, as I say, starting for the following year. And, you know, my role uh, in the early days my salary was 40% uh, basic, 60% on bonus. So it really was important to, to hit your numbers. Oh, wow. Wow. Now, that now leads me on to your last question, which is this. Which skills have you found the most useful and why? People skills. Absolutely, people skills. Um, it, it's a difficult, it's a great question, though. You know, I could say financial um, because, it, you know, at the end of the day, without understanding the finances of a business, that business is unlikely to survive unless you're very, very lucky or you have people around you. It's really important to understand your numbers um, and understand where that business is going, uh, part of uh, accountancy, business planning, etc. And whilst I've got to admit, I don't do a business plan, which is wrong. Um, I, I do have one in my head and I should write it down. I know and I've always managed to achieve what I, you know, I've set out in my head at the beginning. But the reason I say people skills, um, I don't have a, When I took over a family business, we had 30 members of staff. I closed that business down. It was a retail business, uh, not a business I particularly like. And uh, I had to part ways with people who've worked for us for a long time, actually. Um, 
but then I've still got staff now, um, one in the Philippines, one in West Wales, one in South East Wales. Uh, and I think it's A, from a, controlling your, or managing your staff and having that relationship with them to be open, honest, for them to understand you and understand what you're trying to achieve is really important. My, our longest member of staff, and I, I, I did not recruit her, um, is sort of semi-retired now. She's only ever worked for my family. She's been with us for over 40 years um, and is someone I trust pretty much with my life, if I'm honest with you. She's got access to even my private banking. Um, that's how, how much I trust her. Um, but also the other reason for people's skills is, you know, I've got quite a lot of tenants, both residential, commercial. It's important to have, in my respect, we manage all our own portfolio um, with the team uh, to have good relationships with those where possible with those tenants. Um, but also when you're doing JVs, uh, so joint ventures, it's getting that gut feel of people as well for me. I'm a big believer in gut feel. Uh, whilst I'm a numbers person and, and data driven, I also take a lot from my gut feel. Not always right, uh, but generally it is. And, and, and often people's gut feel is, is correct because um, it picks up on the body language, which isn't uh, verbally communicated. And I'm a strong believer in that. So people skills for me, I think you can get over most things. You know, you have a problem. You know, I've done some uh, some new builds, some conversions. I will guarantee anybody, uh, unless they're exceptionally lucky, um, and I've spoken to some people far more experienced than me, you will always have a problem if it's of any size or at some point you will have a problem. That could be a finance problem. You've run out of funds. It could be um, a planning issue. It could be an on-site issue. And, and again, yes, knowledge is great, but if you can work with people, there's usually a, a solution to that. And so, again, that's why I think people skills for me is in, important. And, um, you know, I, I just love meeting new people. My partner, interesting, you say you're quite shy. My partner's very much like you. If you, you probably, people probably don't, or my friends don't think she exists because during COVID they didn't meet her. She doesn't like her photograph taken, so she's not on my Facebook page, et cetera. Um, and she finds it hysterical. I'll just go into a hotel, a pub or whatever, or on a train, and I'll just talk to people. And somebody else say, does he know that person? And it's like, no, he doesn't. He's just doing what he always does. So, so people skills, that's the, that's the long answer to that one. <laughs> wow. Um, so I was thinking to myself, you know, we're very similar in that. Um, I don't write a business plan either, but I, I I know it in my head. I know exactly what my figures are. I know exactly what the bottom line needs to be. I know exactly how I'm going to get from A to B. Now, if somebody said to me, put that in writing, I could do it. But because I the things that I do, I do all the time, I don't really need to put it in writing because I just know what the next step is and I know how I'm going to get there. And that just made me laugh when you said that. But where you said you can go anywhere and talk to anyone i'm thinking nope definitely not me um but yeah um it, it is it it's life isn't it you know you meet people and e you find similarities and differences you know with everyone that you meet and it was lovely meeting you the other day um at the canary connections so barry here i am plugging your network but i'm not plugging it it really is a lovely lovely network um uh, you know to, to allow people to to actually meet um so anthony and i met for the very first time there and it was it was it was great and we had some really really interesting discussions <laughs> yeah. <didn't> we, <laughs> yes which i think will stay off the room but um <laughs> anyone who's in london um look up canary connections and barry Rear. Uh, he's also opening up in Manchester now, coming up. And, and, and I've only ever been to Barry's event. It was the first time I went there. Lovely bunch of people. It's it's not expensive to go to it. Um, and he's very... Uh, what, I, what I love, Patricia, is that... He, well, certainly for me, he emailed me out and you put yourself down as a particular category. Are you a, uh, an investor? Are you a professional, like an architect, etc.? So people are categorised and he, he tries to limit each group so it's not full of one type of pe person. Uh, and also he sent me an email saying these are the sort of people, in fact, and you were on that list. He didn't know that you and I knew each other. Uh, these are the sort of people you should uh, meet and why. And I thought it was, it was very well organised. So definitely one to look out for. And um, yeah, no, a, a good event. Yes, he he does do that, doesn't he? I, I, you know, I must ask him how long it takes him to actually organise one event. And like Anthony said, 
they're very, very reasonably priced. It's £15 per person. Well, that's what um, I paid. And and if you if you um, buy your tickets um, early, I think you get an early bird discount. I can't, yeah, I don't know do. how I, much I, that I, is. I can't remember the yeah. numbers um, yeah. on that, but yeah. there's definitely an early bird on it. And it is, as yeah. I say, you know, mm. I've gone, I'm not a... I haven't done networking pre-COVID. I, I'd stopped doing networking just because my head was down. I'm really, really busy. I've now started doing it again for various reasons. Uh, uh, and, uh, and well, just meeting new people. What is funny, though, uh, Patricia, I don't know if you've had it, but at that event, I had a few people. I was talking to some people and somebody suddenly turned, turned around to me and said, are you on Clubhouse? I go, yeah. She said, I recognised your voice. She didn't recognise me, but she recognised the voice, which uh, <laughs> is an interesting way of doing it, actually. But do you know what? The, the thing, I, I remember in the very early days of Clubhouse, people saying that um, your voice was actually your, um, how do they call it? Your, your um, I, I don't want to use the word um, avatar, because that is more visual, but it, it's sort of like your, um, it's like your, your IP, it's like your trademark. Um, and, you know, when people have distinctive voices, I think that pays off a lot more on Clubhouse than, you know, anywhere else. Which is why I keep saying to people, come up on stage. Well, well, not not today, because um, we don't have um, people coming up on stage with us. Um, but, you know, I, generally in, in other rooms, I invite people to come up on stage and find their voices. And, you know, and, and people who who just think, oh, do you know, I'm shy. Well, I'm shy as well. And I talk a lot on Clubhouse. And you just get used to it. Well, you're not shy, Anthony, so it was never a problem well, for you. Well, well, you say that, but I, do you know what? I, you know, it still was outside my comfort zone in, in a way. And like you, we invite in our room, we invite people up and we want them to come up. You know, we've been in the past accused, oh, you don't let people on stage. Absolutely not. Because as you know, when you're on, on you're running a room, it's it's hard work. And actually, when you have the interaction of the audience, A, it gives you something to talk about. It, it, you're answering their questions. So, you know, we're trying to give back. You know, some people think there's an ulterior motive. Yes, some people may have training or mentoring or what have you. But generally, we're up there because we enjoy it. You know, I don't I, have I gained from Clubhouse. Yes, I probably have, actually. Um, but I, that's not the my motive. I do it because I, I actually enjoy it. Property, as we know, can be a very lonely world um you know whilst i have some people working for me we're at different levels of, of what we discuss um and so i enjoy you know catching up with people and i've met some like I, you know you and i've been talking on clubhouse for 18 months i suspect we met now physically it's just a great uh, way of doing it and there's a there's a couple of people i know on clubhouse who are doing some great things in property and people i've got involved with on the lending side and they refuse to come up on stage, even though they've got a great story to tell and they would be great. And I'm trying to get them outside their comfort zone because I know it would take them to another level, but they, I haven't quite got them there yet, but um, I, I, I'm not from the audience. Oh, Anthony, I, I don't know if that was me, but um, I just lost the tail end of, of what you were saying. Uh, uh, and in any event, I was going to say, send them my way. I'll talk to them about being shy and being on Clubhouse and, and just thriving on Clubhouse and, you know, just finding your voice. Um, and in, in fact, if anyone's listening to this and, and they don't think they can talk on Clubhouse, let me just share a tip with you as to what I do. When I'm, when I'm talking on Clubhouse, I don't scroll down the room. I literally just look at myself and the people around me and I just I just leave it at that. And and I when I'm talking, I just think I'm talking to these people. I know these people. And it really just helps because right now, you know, my screen just has myself and Anthony. And I know that there are some other people in the room and there aren't that many to make me feel you know apprehensive or, or, or anything like that. But nevertheless, it, it it's it's a way to help you just just move forward and, you know, just do the talking. And there are some people there's one person in particular in the room whom I'm going to start bullying to come up because um, she's never, let me see, is she or he? Because um, they've never um, come up um, and um, 
I think it will be good for them. Anyway, anyway, anyway. So, um, Anthony, so when developers run out of money or they've got a lovely project that they want to do, but they don't have the money to do it, you, if the project is right for you, help them out. Now, because you're in that space, it, surely there must be loads of people who come to you, good, bad and ugly. Can you just obviously without, you know, on a no names basis, just talk about some of the good deals that maybe have come your way and you can anonymize them. Um, and, I, and I say this to people on Clubhouse. I don't need to say it to you, but I'm saying it for people, for the benefit of people who might listen to this um, later on or who are in the room is that you know, sensitive information has to be um, guarded. And unfortunately, there have been some people on Clubhouse who've come and spoken about their deals. And the next thing, somebody's gone and stolen it because they've given too many details away. And, um, and then their deal has been easy to find and they've not actually sewn it up before coming onto Clubhouse and talking about it. So I, it, that just flashed through my mind and I thought, you know, I'll say that for the benefit of people who uh, do listen to this. Um, so Anthony, if you wouldn't mind just giving us some examples of the good, the bads and the uglies of, you know, some of the things that have crossed your path. I, I think we'll, we'll, we'll all be able to learn so much from those. <laughs> Thanks, and yeah, I certainly won't be sharing my, um as what was called a Rolodex of uh, people I also borrow from as well, because those are uh, my golden uh, numbers, so to speak. So absolutely. So firstly, just for those in the audience who might not know, I am, you know, first and foremost, a property person. I've got uh, my, my company's 360 Property Limited. We've got a few. Uh, I've got a group structure, actually, and they're all called 360 something. My oldest company goes back to 1961, which is a family business. It's now changed from retail into property. And I do everything from buy to let, uh, commercial, which includes offices, retail and warehouse. <laughs> I've got some short term rentals. Um, I've done uh, office to or commercial to resi conversions. I've done some new builds and I do some joint ventures uh, and some I've done some planning uplift as well. So, uh, you know, as as. Patricia said at the beginning, I'm multidisciplined. So I've walked the walk and I'm still, I was looking at this the other day, I'm still walking the walk. So I'm still doing these things. As a sideline, and it's become quite a big sideline, about a third of my business now from a profit perspective, um, I've ended up in the private, what I call private lending. Um, now, private lending is, is one of the oldest businesses going. Um, as I once said to my bank manager, I think, uh, uh, lending is probably as old as prostitution, um, to which she thought was quite funny. But I think, <laughs> um, but it, it probably is. Um, I had a conversation with my bank manager many years. Bank, banks don't like you lending money, by the way. Um, they really hate you lending money, particularly if you borrowed money off them and then you then lend it on. Um, so I had a conversation with a bank manager from one of the well-known banks. And he said, Anthony, I, we, you know, and I used to meet this guy once a quarter at a well-known hotel in, in Wales. Uh, we'd sit down and review my business. And I put this line in of, of lending. And every time he'd go, take that out, take that out. I don't want, I don't want that in there. And um, we then had a conversation which went along the lines of, tell me this uh, money, what would you do? Because it was a fair bit of my profit at this particular time. What would you do, he said, if people stopped borrowing money? To which I responded, that's a really good question, I said, and it's a concern for me. Tell me, what would your bank do if people stopped borrowing money? <laughs> uh, I, I, and then it went on. He said, well, what would you do if these people didn't pay the money back? And, you know, they, they, they defaulted. And once again, I went, that's a very good question. Uh, what would you do as a bank like this? I said, I am no different to you in a bank. It's just I am smaller, more nimble. I do more constructive deals than you guys do because, you know, quite rightly, you know, a, a big bank, you know, the, the high street banks, et cetera, they are dealing with large sums of monies. They have to put processes in place. You're not dealing with the decision makers. Um, you know, I haven't got a bank manager. I haven't had a bank manager for many, many years. Um, the closest I've probably got is in Handel's Banking, who sort of have a bank manager, but most of them are, are relationship managers who can't make decisions. I, I mentioned I grew up. Uh, in family business. In fact, I'm in the town where my, my father's office was, uh, or still is, 
uh, but he's no longer with us. And we had a bank manager called Tudor Noakes. And I remember his name, you know, he used to go in there and he could make decisions. He could lend money. Um, bank managers can't these days. Um, you know, I, I once, you know, I've got, I'm quite happy to, to, to say it. I've got a fair few million pounds worth of lending off the banks. I went into the bank one day to my relationship manager and said, I need to borrow 25,000 urgently because we were doing a build project and I, I was running out of money. Well, that's a bit of a shock for someone doing development. And he said to me, I can't do it. He said, the easiest thing, for, he said, it'll take so long with the paperwork. He said, the easiest thing for you to do, because you know, I was obviously privately banking with him as well, as in personally, sorry. And uh, he said, it's just take a, uh, um, a loan overdraft from us. You can do that literally within minutes. Uh, and that's what we did. But so a, a, a different offering. So with regards to let's start off with with the ugliest. Um, I have been lending for quite a long time, but seriously, in the last sort of five years, a little bit before that, I was introduced to somebody. Uh, the person who introduced me is would be known to, I would say, anybody who's seriously into property will know this individual. He's one of the older trainers in, in the world. Uh, in the UK and uh, introduced me to an individual and I did the deal with him, a good deal, good charge, etc. I then got carried away and started to do things too quickly and without my solicitor being involved. And this particular individual is a, uh, a very, very uh, charismatic char character, seems to have uh, it all made, seems to have done some good developments, but he has a very, very checkered background. Um, and there was always a good story why loans weren't or interest wasn't being paid, loans weren't being repaid. And, you know, here's another bit of lending I require for another deal. And this has happened. And it was all very, very plausible uh, and very, very good. The guy lives in a multi-million pound house, four or five million pound house. And that is not an exaggeration. Um, uh, the guy has recently gone uh, into bankruptcy and he still lives in that house. There are very interesting ways that people manage to achieve this. Um, in the end, when it all went through with him, uh, net capital, so forgetting the interest, I was owed circa £1 million. And uh, in theory, I lost that £1 million. Um, uh, I did actually on the day uh, lose it. Um, but through hook and by crook and being quite canny, I'd like to think, uh, we've clawed most of that back and will actually make, eventually make, I, I'm going to say a profit. It's been, excuse my French, bloody hard work uh, doing it. Um, and it's been a game of chess, if I'm honest with you. And it's taken up a lot of my mental uh, energy. Uh, but again, at the time, when I, so he's one of the first lending deals I did. I then sat down with myself and reviewed it and thought, right, I've got a choice here. I either go, that's it. I really messed up on this. Let's get out of lending because I've, I've cocked it up. Or alternatively, what have I learned? And what lessons are there? And what processes do I need to put in place? Uh, and should, do I want to carry on doing it? And the answer is, uh, yes, I do want to carry on doing it. It ticks a number of my boxes. One of those boxes is that, I want to have a business where I'm not geographically um, located. I, I could do the business from anywhere uh, in the world if I so wished. Um, uh, and, and that's a big thing with money lending. I don't typically need to see the people. I sometimes go on, on, on site with them, uh, have a look at their projects, but that's more out because of my interest level. Um, so that's one that went wrong, but we've turned it around. And that was all my own money, I'd like to point out. Nobody else's money involved. I never, ever lost anybody's money. In fact, I've, I'd like to say I haven't lost my own money now. Uh, we've got that back. So that's that's the ugly side. So for those of you who think money lending is really, really easy and why don't banks lend more money and why don't they leverage me more and why are they so slow? It's because things do go wrong. You know, Typically, developers uh, can see the look through it through rose tinted glasses and can see the upsides. Unfortunately, there are downsides, um, which, you know, as lenders, we've got to look at. Um, you know, I've had um, somebody who I, I'd lent money to, deal went very well, happy with the deal. They were happy with it. Um, looking at another deal, the next project, and they wanted me to lend 140% loan to value. And they couldn't see what was wrong with that because 
their argument was they were going to take a property, uh, do some renovations to it. And when we finished, we'd have been about 80% or 85% maybe loan to value from memory. Uh, so I said, once it's finished, what's, what's the problem? You've got good security there. I then explained the proverbial bus that may come along the day after I've lent them the money. And I didn't want to be picking up the headache of what do we do with that property? Uh, after a long discussion around that, they then got, got the issue uh, and the point regarding that. So, um, so, so that, that, was the, that was the bad one. Um, yes, we get people coming along who, who try it on. They, 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 they want money quickly. They don't want us to do put charges in place. Um, so just to be clear, the way we operate. Well, let me, let me just go back, actually, with regards to some of the lessons learned is on any one deal now, I don't lend more than a quarter of a million pounds. Um, if people have got deals that are bigger than that, will we look at them? Yes, we will. But what we'll then do as part of my network, I would possibly hand that off to another private lender or I'll joint, or jointly lend with them maybe uh, so we're not more exposed. Rationale behind that is very simple. Um, I don't want my eggs in one basket. Um, I want to be able to spread that around. I also want to be active in the marketplace. So uh, I've got another uh, colleague who lends. They're quite happy to put their money into one deal and sit there for 12 months. Uh, so it's pretty um, hands off. Uh, but the problem with that for me is, you know, you're not constantly doing deals and you're therefore forgotten about. So we're constantly doing deals, I guess. To give you, give you a, an indication, my loan book at the moment is about three million that the plan at this so my business plan which isn't written down but it's in my head um is to get that to five million by the end of the year um over the weekend i just closed an extra 1.5 million of private lending from private individuals uh so two individuals who've come up with uh i've got some surplus uh, money knocking around they need to do something with um now those relationships didn't happen overnight one of them i've known for 40 years there's a school friend uh, and another person um, knows my family business um, and he and I have been talking for probably about 12 months uh, on what I do uh, side of things. So generally speaking, so the lesson learned, as I said, is our loans tend to be between 50 and 250K. Um, we always do business to business lending. Reason for business to business or company to company is I'm not FCA regulated and I never want to be FCA regulated. So uh, I can't lend to individuals. Uh, that's quite a complex area and one that, you know, the size of my business, I don't see us growing much beyond five, maybe 10 million at a stretch. Um, there's enough business out there that uh, I can concentrate on the company to company. And also these days, particularly in property, most people have limited companies. They're buying their uh, properties within that. But to be fair, it doesn't have to, whilst we do, all our lending is property related. The property could be bought in a personal lane, but as long as they have a limited company somewhere that we can lend the monies to, that is fine. Uh, we take uh, security over, over either over that property or actually over properties elsewhere in your portfolio. Um, so I sometimes talk about providing 100% lending. You know, I'm a very open and transparent person. That's just marketing. Um, and I'm, I'm open about it. But what I mean by 100% lending, um, I've done a few of these deals. Uh, I'll give you an example. One we're about to do uh, next month. Uh, it's a rollover from another project. Uh, the chaps have found a property. I will pay 100% of the value of the property and the legal fees. I will also pay, in this particular instance, the refurb costs. Um, and at the end, the property will be worth more. The reason I'm happy to do that is I have a first charge on the property, which is a lot easier than a second charge. And also I will I have a charge over one of the director's houses, which has got substantial equity over it, plus uh, a couple of personal guarantees. Um, for those who don't know about personal guarantees, be very, you know, and if you are thinking of lending, more than happy to have a chat with anybody. Be very careful about personal guarantees. There's no register of personal guarantees. You don't know if those personal guarantees are worth anything. Even if someone has got a lot of money or appears to have a lot of money, you don't know how much they've got out there in personal guarantees. Uh, I was speaking to an old business colleague of mine who's in a very different business to me, and he's uh, starting to sigh uh, some breaths of relief. 
he up until recently had 1.5 million pounds worth of personal guarantees. He's currently down to 400,000, uh, which I still think is a lot. Um, but be aware that even you know people high use limited companies so that they're not liable very often. But when you go out to the, the mainstream banks, uh, they will usually ask for some form of personal guarantees. I've just had to sign one now recently. I personally don't see it as a problem because the loan the value I've got with that bank is is less than sixty percent. So they're not going to come to my personal guarantee. You know, we're we're not leveraged like that. So that's the way it works. So typical deal for me tends to happen quite quickly. Um, the quickest deals we've done uh, would be four days. Um, and, and both of those were quite recently, actually. I took a call uh, in May, I think it was, uh, on a Sunday from my solicitor. And I speak to my solicitor up till 10 o'clock at night and at weekends. It, it's uh, quite surprising. Uh, but I took a call off him Sunday afternoon. A client of his, who all, who was known to me, they uh, had bought a property with a bridge. They had to replace their bridge on the Thursday uh, of the coming week. Um, it was all sorted uh, until the Friday just gone and a private lender had pulled out at the last minute. Um, if they didn't pay off the bridge, they were going to lose in excess of 20,000, or have to pay in excess of 20,000 pounds worth of fees. Uh, they needed 195,000 within four days. And uh, by the Sunday night, um, I found two other investors plus myself uh, to replace the, the bridge. And we, we had the money in the solicitor's account by the Wednesday, it completed on the Thursday. Now, please do not come to me and ask me to do that every time. Trust me, that was really, really hard work. And particularly as one of my investors, was a newbie, somebody I'd met by a clubhouse, funnily enough, and uh, we'd physically met as well. He was keen to lend via me. I'd come, you know, recommended by somebody, uh, and he'd listened to me quite a lot on, on clubhouse. And we met, and he said, These are my criteria, which are quite stringent. And this deal happened very, very quickly, as, as often is the case. And he was, you know, he, he started to get jitters. So, one of my advices to anybody if you are out there with a project, and you're trying to get private let or you secure private lending off an individual, fantastic, well done. And that's probably some of the cheapest money you'll probably get other than a mortgage on your own house, um, assuming you've negotiated right. But be really, really careful that when it comes down to it, when they're just about to press that button to move the funds into your solicitor's account, or which is where it should go, or into your own personal account, they sometimes get the wobbles. What if, what if, will I get my money back? Will I get my interest? So make sure you're there, you know, you, that they're, they're really happy. Make sure even if it's come from family and friends, you have you know, ideally via solicitors, but you have some form of legal agreement in place. And the what ifs, you know, um, what if, you know, they said they're going to pay it back in six months time. Well, what if they don't? What's the recourse on that? And how do you handle it? Um, I've got some, I've just said to you, a good friend of mine is just about to lend me some funds. Up until recently, he said he would never lend me money. Um, the rationale behind that was he and I are, are very, very good friends and uh, he didn't want to lose the friendship. But again, he's seen what I've done. He knows what I do. We go on holidays together. We chat about each other's businesses. Um, and for various reasons, he's got some surplus funds. And I said, look, I, I want to, you know, I'm happy to give this a go. But as I say, you've got to be careful about crossing the line. Uh, with him, it'll all be done professionally. Um, he will joint lend with me, which is something I do a lot of now. And he will also get the same security as I get, uh, which gets around one of the problems I was having previously uh, on that. So a lot of the people I deal with are, are great people. Um, um, again, going back to this gut feel thing and, and my people um, skill set, uh, I sort of take a, a view on them uh, at the time. But to say most of the people that uh, phone me up, um, they they come usually from a recommendation, uh, which is great. I get uh, this may surprise people. I get uh, recommendations from uh, brokers. Uh, why are brokers coming to me? A, a mere private lender with a small sum of money, um, because their client has done something which they can't fix quickly. And so what they do is they use me to fix the problem, and then they get that client out of the problem. So um, it could be, I'll give you two examples that come straight to the head. Um, person was building a house for cash. Always a problem when you build houses for cash, but I'll come back to that. 
they had a commercial property with no mortgage on it um, and they were selling that commercial property. It took a lot longer than they anticipated and they sort of buried their head in the sand. Um, and as they were building the house, they then realized they needed money next week. And again, so not surprised, another quick deal. And um, the broker knew they could raise money for them, not a problem at all, very credit worthy, um, but they needed that money to stop the builders from work, walking off site. So we, rather than doing a quick and dirty deal with some lender, um, they came to us, we lent the funds and that gave them some breathing space. Builders didn't walk off site and they were then able to go to uh, or the broker was able to go out to the lending market and get the right deal for them. So that that worked quite uh, quite quickly. I, I mentioned about don't build houses for sites. I've only ever turned down two deals which I've agreed to do. So when I agree to do a deal, I, I always do them except on these two situations. Um, so one situation where I didn't do it was a chap had bought a plot of land for cash. He had built three quarters of a house for cash and he just he'd run out of money and again he needed the money very quickly and i thought this is a, this is a no-brainer um i'm gonna have a first charge over an unencumbered property the guy was a businessman etc there were a few red flags that were raised by my solicitor um when we started to ask questions about building control um when they start answering sorry what do you mean building control uh, when you ask about warranties on a new build and they go, no, no, I don't, no, no, I don't need a warranty. I'm building it for cash and all that. You then go, right, this is interesting. For those who don't know, when you do a new build, you, you really do need to have a warranty. You can get an architect certificate. When we looked at the market or when the broker, I pulled into the deal to say, look, will you get a mortgage on this? So there were only two that he was aware of that would take an architect certificate. Our concerns were also about the legality of the house. Not that we thought it was illegal, but he didn't have certain paperwork in place. So I could have ended up with a brand new building that was illegally built that needs to be pulled down. So on that particular situation, we pulled out. Another situation which came via a broker, and he and I sort of uh, laugh about it, is um, we had uh, a foreign national um, who was working in a different country and living in the UK. So he was a Canadian living in working in America, but living in the UK, wanted to buy a house in the UK, needed some funds and um, uh, great chap on, on the face of it. And I, but there were some red flags for us because the money was coming over from America. You then get into anti-money laundering and that's a really big thing and something we take uh, quite seriously. But we got through four or he got through four different solicitors in four days. And at that point, there was, that, that to me raised a red flag. Why are his solicitors walking away? And uh, we said, look, this is this is too onerous. We've asked for certain information off you. You've not provided to us, so we will we walk away. But other than those two instances, when I say I'll do a deal, I'll only say it when I know I've got funds, and um, we will do it. But clearly, subject to all the legal stacking up. If you tell me, tell my solicitor what well, myself one thing. And then we we go and look at the property that you said only has a mortgage of X on it. And we find out that there are other charges on that property. Then we will potentially walk away from it unless there's an alternative solution on it. Um, so uh, we aim to be, you know, I aim to be agile and, and quite quick on that. Uh, very flexible as well um, in that uh, if someone gets to the end of their term uh, that we've agreed up front, and for whatever reason, particularly you can imagine during COVID, where people were struggling with getting hold of tradespeople and supplies, we've worked with them. Um, we've got projects which have been up to 12 months late. Um, my view on that is, is, you know, I've been there myself. Um, and so understand and we'll, we'll have a discussion around why. Uh, but as long as their interest is up to date, uh, we'll, we'll work with them and, and try and, you know, help them as best we can. It is not my job to give advice, etc. But clearly, I'm not not going to give advice if I'm, I feel I, I've got something to add, which would help them uh, on that side. Again, with with the lending I do, if we agree a deal of, let's say, £150,000 loan, uh, you get 150000 It shocks a lot of people when they do bridging loans that they've applied for £150,000 loan and they actually only get 120 or something because the the bridging company withholds the 
the terms interest up front. So, um, so those are the sort of things I say. Most of the people I deal with uh, and lend to um, are, are great people. In fact, yeah, they, they all are, to be honest with you. Some great people. I've got to meet some uh, great projects. I'm on site. I'm, I'm going to site tomorrow in Bristol uh, to meet somebody I, I, I know. It's not off Clubhouse, somebody I know uh, from a different networking event who wants to talk to me about potential lending and potentially JVing. And let me just put something out there. JVing and money lending are two very, very different animals. Um, money lending is much more straightforward in, in one respect, in that I lend money, you pay interest and pay the money back. I take a charge on a property. Uh, and that's that's the, the the crux of it. I don't really need to know in some ways how good you are at doing your job. Clearly, I don't want the job to go wrong. Because if it does go wrong, that causes lots of hassle. And, and I, I, you know, we have backed away from deals where people talk about what they're doing, and clearly they're outside their depth. Um, you know, somebody approached me once; they were going to buy a, a block of flats. I can't remember how many flats were there. It was fifteen or twenty flats in the block. You know, he basically wanted me to put the deposit forward. He would get some bridging loans. I put the deposit in, so he had no money in. And when the um, when his, his plan was to title split, and when he did that, they would be worth a lot more overall. The theory is great. This individual, a lovely guy, um, only had a couple of buy-to-lets, had never done a title split at all, um, and was suddenly going from zero to 100 miles an hour, in my opinion. And I saw that as, well, he, he had no skin in the game. There was nothing we could put a charge on. And I just thought, you know, that's not the right thing to be encouraging. Um, I don't want our money just flying out. Um, I'd rather do it, you know, a couple of deals I'm looking at at the moment. Uh, someone's looking to uh, refurb a hotel. Um, and uh, they're also looking at uh, doing uh, a conversion. Uh, again, the numbers all stack up. They know what they're doing. They've been there and seen it uh, on that side. So so that's, that's I think... Um, some of the good, the bad, and the and the ugly. And I said, generally speaking, um, it's been good. You know, I'm cautious of what's what may lay a, lay a, lie ahead for us. But because I put myself in that niche of sub 250, um, the reason I do that, as I said, one is is because it spreads my risk. But also, typically, they're they're smaller deals that we're we're working on. And if they do go wrong, it's not generally as expensive or as difficult to resolve. Um, and, and the losses shouldn't be as great as, you know, uh, one of the guys I'm lending to, uh, not on this project, but he's doing a project, a joint venture project where he's building, it's either two, and I know it's a huge difference, it's either two or 300 flats. He's converting an office building um, uh, into two or 300. He will never do that again, he's told me. It's, it's almost killed him uh, because of the size of the deal. Uh, it was a pre-COVID deal. Things obviously changed in COVID. Um, and it's it's uh, almost you know you can he's aged dramatically and it's drained him. I I really feel for him. He'd, he'd rather do smaller developments which are a lot more nimble, um, easier to control, um, and not out of hand. So, hope that gives a, a, a initial um, view, Patricia. Do you know an amazing, amazing insight? Such amazing insight into you know the thought processes the things that you look for so i really really hope that people will you know pick some things up from this um and you you you've not told us about your best deals but before we do that you know people in the room if you tap on the link above that is anthony's company one of them but you can you know literally you know get to him through the link and the link can be um accessed uh, online if you type in www.360 so that's the digit three the digit six the digit zero and then property.xyz so that's www.360property.xyz and if you go to that link and you click on the contact page you will be able to find um ways to contact anthony uh, his email address is there that is anthony at 360property.xyz and there is also a telephone number there which is 0117-230-5600. So I tend to kind of like Anthony, I, t I tend to read these things out because um, there are lots of people who listen to the podcast 
and they might not even get to it till next week or next month or even next year but they will then still be able to contact you so brilliant brilliant shares there um and and also i i loved you, you know the bit where you said you know you you are operating in your own lane you know exactly what you want you are in in the you know b2b um arena you do sub 250 anything else other people can have the market's big enough and also you know talking about you know this um person that you know who's doing either two or three hundred units and how that person has aged because there's so much talk about oh you know do this be bigger be this be that and people don't tend to stop and just ask themselves the cost of doing those things and also the cost of failure and sometimes you know you have to be of a certain age and experience to be able to to be confident enough to say well do you know i'm actually happy where i am and you know you do what you're doing if that's the right thing for you fabulous i'm doing what i'm happy doing again fabulous and the two don't need to meet but so many people think that they need to live up to some sort of ideal of always building and building and building and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger whereas you can be doing the smaller ones over and over and over again and still making as much money if not more than the person doing a massive development but also and more importantly you are able to sleep at night so thank you so much for sharing that um so tell us about some of your your best deals some some good points there uh, patricia and yeah I, I think bigger isn't always better for everybody and it does look like oh, just because someone's building loads i've seen companies going bust um uh, over the years and you go wow you know that's you thought they were doing really really well and they're not um, some of my best deals. Well, here's a deal I just turned down. Um, if anyone's got £500,000 and they want to make a 150% return in three months and they know about rubies, then then let me know. So, I, as I say, here's an example of a shiny penny, which uh, can tempt you. You know, I, I do get lots of things offered to me and it's really tempting. And saying no sometimes is difficult. So, recently, I was just asked if I would lend £500,000 um, somebody had bought $1.5 billion worth of rubies. Um, and on one of those rubies was worth $60 million. But for various reasons, they need to borrow half a million pounds. But for that, you would get a 150% return. Now that on the face of it, and honestly, we had, I sat down with a solicitor with this, I sat down with a broker on it, and we, we seriously looked at this deal. Um, because, but we walked away, uh, we had the funds, we could do it. Um, but again, we go back to what is my business? I, you know, if someone comes to me with a property deal, I know if someone came to me with a property deal and wanted half a million and it was the right deal, we would fund it. Um, but I got, you know, the joke between us was we would be on Netflix this time next year in that you cannot believe that these bright guys in the UK because this was coming from America, by the way, these bright guys in the UK who thought they knew what they were doing bought this rough cut diamond out of a Kinder egg and they paid half a million for it. They were even willing to fly it over, etc. So um, best deals. Uh, so in reality, the best deals, they've all been good. Deal. You know, I must admit, I, I'd like to say I'm lucky, but as, as my bank manager truly said to me once when, when my business is going well, is going well now but when it started to turn i took over a, a dying business in the family business started going well and he turned to me and said you're really lucky that x y and z happened and my my, my response from and this guy's been bank manager for a long time he's no longer my bank manager but we still keep in touch with friends and uh, i turned to him and said yeah i find the harder i work the luckier i become and um i think that's true with some of the lending i do as well um so which is the best um, you know, I've got up to 10% return on lending per month. Now, people will go, wow, that's phenomenal. Um, bizarrely enough, the person just texted me this morning. Um, it was a very, very small loan. It was sub 10,000. I don't tend to do that. It's, it's just not worth doing. It was meant to be for one month. Uh, it wasn't property related and it was unsecured. Something, again, I've learned that lesson I don't do, but it was a, an old colleague and a friend who's in a particular situation 
and it was meant to be a, a one month loan and it ended up being i think from memory 18 months so from a returns point of view that was phenomenal um but all i would say is again we go back to friends and family you know we did have agreements in place uh, in fairness to him he, he kept up with his interest payments but I, we crossed the line there and I, it's a line I, I wasn't too comfortable with because if it was somebody and I do, I've funded friends who are doing uh, property projects, there's a clear purpose. The reason I love property and funding property is that someone will come to me and say, we're doing this project. I'm, I'm thinking of one in my head at the moment. They were converting a commercial property, uh, small commercial property, two one bedroom flats and a, and a small shop where they needed some extra funds which I gave them. They were then let down by another lender uh, and I gave them those funds. I understood all the numbers. I understood the location very well. Um, uh, it was an area I, I knew. Um, and I was and whilst they were a friend stroke colleague, I was happy to lend them the money because I knew where it was going and I knew what their exit strategy was. They would rent the property out. They would get it remortgaged and away you go. And that's what I love about it. When people and I've been approached for various things, I mentioned the, the, the jewels, um, but I got approached uh, for a bar, a bar. Um, somebody was going to fit out a high class bar up in Scotland. Scotland's a different world for me as well because the legal system is different. Um, but the problem I have with that is if their bar goes well, fantastic. Um, if it doesn't, the money that they've plowed into it will become worthless overnight. Um, they will. Um, uh, the fit out, you know, the next person in there will go, that doesn't to, to work with us. Um, but, but from, as I say, you talk about the bad stories more because they're more exciting to talk about. The good stories are where I lend somebody money, they, they ring me up, they know exactly what they're doing. Again, I'm thinking of somebody phoned me up on a Sunday, was a HMO investor, had quite a number of, you know, over 10 HMOs, knew his stuff, knew exactly what he was asking for. I didn't even ask him a question. He just started to speak, finished his conversation and he answered all my questions without me asking him a question. Um, clearly knew his, what he was doing. Um, we've lent the money. He's very, very professional um, in what he does. He pays his interest on, on, on the mail. As do all, in fairness, as do all of the people we lend to, um, we always collect money on the first. And if we've got joint lenders, we pay on the fifth just gives us a schedule for weekends or bank holidays. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a bit like buy to let. It can be, if you get it right and you know what you're doing, you know what to look for, and you've all got the legalities in place, the charges, it's a bit like the buy to let market. It's pretty boring. You know, you've got your normal tenant in paying the rents and you only speak to them once a year when you renew the, the AST, et cetera, uh, compared to say Airbnb, which is a daily process. I know you and I were in a room earlier on talking about that, but, um, so those are the sort of things, you know, we do, I guess one of the ones I've liked doing a lot, I've done my first bankruptcy deal um, and we're about to come out at the end of that. Um, there's some sad situations where people find themselves um, facing bankruptcy and that's in some cases through financial incompetence. And I'm not being cruel to the particular person. They had a property which was unencumbered, uh, not worth a fortune, sub, sub 100,000 pounds. But their debt was probably, well, they had to borrow 80, uh, sorry, 55,000 from us to do the deal, to get them out of the bankruptcy. Um, I bet you their, their original debt was probably no more than 30-ish thousand pounds. But by the time they put all the fees on top um, of the professional advisors, it would have racked up. Um, they're now in the position they haven't had to leave their home. Um, you know, my colleague, I've got a, a co-partner on this side who deals with the bankruptcy side. Uh, he's a bit more specialist. Um, he went and even paid them a visit. They're based up north. Uh, lovely person, house in great condition. They didn't want to leave the house. Um, they are now uh, well within their terms. They're about to remortgage it uh, and pay us off. So we'll have done slightly better than our normal rate, but only slightly. But what's really nice is, you know, okay, I'm not going to go and ask for my knighthood or anything. Um, but Yes, we've made money from it. That's what I do. And I'm not, you know, that's business. Um, but what's really nice along the line, we've actually helped somebody out with that. Um, we're looking to do some more of that, but they are a bit more complicated and not all are uh, in, a, in a good position. So I think, um, but it's nice to do those sort of deals. It's nice as well. Again, you know, there are some, 
great opportunities out there for people and it's just getting them over the line for them and, and they find the banks are frustrating um, banks can be exceptionally slow um, for those you know i'm sure most of us have, have tried um, depending on what you're doing and what your assets are i would class myself as pretty much triple a uh, and i struggle with the banks at times um, it took me so long when i was doing one of my developments and this is a true story we had to have an analysis done by the bank um, on the feasibility to do a conversion. I knew my numbers, knew it was going to work, um, went away. Um, and when they came back, they said, right, not a problem. We'll lend you the money. I said, I don't want the money now. I said, in the meantime that you've been messing around, I've gone away. I've created a SaaS. I funded that from probably it was my wife at the time and myself, probably about six or seven different uh, private pensions or company pensions went into that. And we did... Uh, we funded the development uh, via our SaaS. Um, they were a bit peeved because of all the time they'd taken, but that's, you know, typical banks, they are slow. They're there for a purpose. And I don't, I, I, whilst it sounds like I'm knocking them, they're, they're there as your core business. But when you want to do things quickly, um, that's, you know, what I would say to people, you should know people like me. If it's not me, get to know people like me or know where can you ring up to find, you might be in that 20K bracket, 50K, 100K, quarter of a million pounds whatever those figures are who are those people that you can talk to don't expect that you can just ring people up and they will give you money um it it doesn't happen overnight you know i i have had it happen where i've met somebody and they've literally given me a quarter of a million pounds and that's a true story but generally speaking i find that people don't get it you know uh why they would lend money out to developers um i know in our world we think that's obvious but outside the property world um you know i used to have this conversation with a few people would be well hang on a minute why aren't the banks if they're that good at what they do why aren't the banks lending the money those of us in the world understand why that is but so what i like is being able to make people make money yes i'm and i'm, I'm never going to hide it i'm making money but it enables people and a typical deal for us um we, i talk about a blended rate where they may be putting some of the, they've, they've got a deal they're buying. They may be putting a bridge on that deal. Um, they may put some of their own cash on there, but then they may be short by 50, 100, 150K, whatever the figure is. And they need that top up. And that top up is the difference between getting a deal over the line or not. And I said, well, just then blend the interest rates that you are paying on your, your money, uh, your bridging money and my money, uh, and make sure your deal stacks up. Um, I want, you know, what, what do I want? I want repeat business so i want my people i lend to and i've got a number of you know developers small small to mid-sized developers who constantly use me do they just use me absolutely not um and i've got no problems with that i even talk myself out of business um you know if i think there's a better way for somebody to fund it um i don't really want to do business it's not i don't want to do business with them I, what i mean is if there's a better way for them I feel morally obliged to to say, look, you should be doing this. And I've got, I've got you know, stories I could tell you where I've I've stopped myself lending quarter of a million to half a million to somebody because I knew he had the funds elsewhere, but he just didn't know how to access those monies. And I explained the simple process of of doing that. So, so those are the good ones. Oh, thank you. So Anthony is is a prime example of of you know, the kind of person that I want on the guest series, somebody who will look at things in the round and not just selfishly from their own point of view. So, you know, if you need funding and anyone who's serious about property will always at some point run out of money. You've now today been introduced to Anthony Davies. And if you're, if you're in the room, and you are not already following Anthony, tap on his face and follow him now. Hit the bell icon. And then when, whenever he's talking in a room on Clubhouse, you will get notified. And then you can go and listen some more. But you know, on this point, and this will be available on Clubhouse for at least a week. Um, and then it will be released as a podcast uh, from Wednesday of next week. Um, and Anthony, thank you so much for doing this with me. And it's been such a pleasure because you are my last guest for the next, well, for this year. 
because I'm, I'm, I'm reopening next year um, after a six month uh, break. But thank you so much. It's been fascinating just listening to you. And, you know, and again, thank you for your for your generosity and, you know, for just sharing so openly with us. Thank you very, very much. Patricia, you're more than welcome. Thanks for the questions and uh, genuinely mean it. You know, my contact details, Anthony at 360property.xyz. Um, feel free to drop me a mail if you think I can help you um, on your with your development. Then please, please do. If I can't, I quickly get to know, should we say. I'm, I'm quite straight talking. So uh, thank you very much, Patricia. And enjoy your six months off of putting your feet up. Oh, thank you. Only at 12 noon, only from the guest series. I'll still be on Clubhouse. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no doubt you and I will talk um, soon. So thank you. And for people in the room, thank you guys for being here.